Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Hello and welcome again to the Dave and Dia podcast. I am Dave Deckard and I am usually here with Dia Miller, but Dia couldn't make it tonight because of uh, things going on in her life. So we have invited some special guests and they are amazing and we invited you Two of them because it takes two guys to do the work of one dia. And uh, we have Dan Morang and Steve DeWald from Blazer's Edge. And Steve is the uh, captain of the Church of Roy podcast. Dan, of course, is for, from the Jack Ramseys. And uh, we are all together, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, however you want to say it. <laughs> it all melds together. We won't argue about who's who. That would be heresy anyway. So <laughs> I think we know. Steve yeah, and Dan, I, I think we know where this stands. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, let's let's not go there. I don't want to get I don't want to get kicked out of my church because uh, <laughs> I committed an unforgivable uh, heresy. Anyway, uh, how are you guys doing, Steve? Uh, how's it holding up for you? Good, good. Um, you know, I, I wish Dia was here. I, I wish we were joining, but I think it's more official that we have D Wall, Dave, and Danny, the Triple D. <laughs> And we have someone who has been compared to Guy Fieri's likeness. So I, I think diners drive in some dives. You know, Dia Photoshop will here. never die. I, I, I wish Dia was here, but you know, I hope she's doing well. But but we'll try to hold it down in her place for today. But thank you for having me on. Exactly. And Dan, how are you? Well, I'm doing good. Big ups to Dia. I was not not here. It's a little it's a little weird to be um, back. At, I mean. It's been a while since all three of us been together, so mm. it's, it's 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 certainly different. I uh, I uh, I started, you know, intense physical therapy yesterday, and I went to a chiropractor and got adjusted today, and I can barely walk right now. So, this, like sitting and talking about basketball is, <laughs> is, is an objection, like a, an objective that I can accomplish right now. So it's just, it's the little things in life. Excellent, Perfect. and of course I miss Dia too. I mean, you know what's really funny, guys, is that uh, when we started out, there were eyebrows raised, and it's like, who is this? Uh, because Dia was, she was not new to basketball writing. She'd actually written for a couple other sites, but was looking for a place, and we took her on. And when we started doing the podcast, it was like, well, who who is this person? And it's <laughs> taken her a relatively short time. You know, I'm not saying I always agree with what Dia says, but you can tell that that's Dia. You can tell mm -hmm. when a take comes from Dia, and you can tell that flavor and that there are people who go years without ever developing that and within uh, within a year she has made a distinctive mark i think on the blazers fan base so i i sure enjoy it but i enjoy you guys too and and we have plenty to talk about uh the draft coming up i mean that's that's the first big thing right if i'm am i missing anything between now and then about a well, month i think we're gonna get into some other goodies but <laughs> i mean it's definitely uh i mean it's workouts in the draft right yeah, yeah, yeah. And really, we know, you know, the lottery, we're still, I'm still recovering from how that all went down. But, you know, now we at least know where the Blazers are picking. And I'm pretty sure I have an idea of who's going to be there if the Blazers choose to stay at that seventh pick. Now, I'm not necessarily thrilled with all those options, but 
Um, we, we definitely have an idea of who's going to be there, especially coming off the combine. And now we'll work into individual workouts with all these teams. Let's, let's get uh, to that in a second. Uh, that's, that's going to be the highlight of our opening. Uh, I, for the lottery, though, I mean, can you be mad about the ping pong balls? I mean, the big thing was New Orleans making yes. the playoffs and He's losing his head. Pick. It's it's like said, you can be mad. You can be mad at random. Okay, oh, yeah. go ahead, oh, Dan. I, are you, you how be, upset are you about the seventh listen, coming out with only be, the seventh? You, you, you could look at Memorial Day weekend right now and be like, oh, this weekend's going to suck. The weather's going to suck. And normally, it's decent this time of year. Like it's you can be mad at random. Like that's that's allowed. You can sit there and look at it and go, oh. Well, I guess that barbecue is going to have is not going to happen right now. Otherwise, you you had to go buy a little tent covering, and there's no tent covering you get to materialize a lottery pick to get going up a little bit higher. Yeah, you can be mad about random. I've been listen. I've been mad about less. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yes. Oh, there's no there's no debate in that. <laughs> Come I, on. I think we all learned a valuable lesson, at least for me, is I I think you can tank too hard, and I think that's what might have happened here. I, I believe, I'm i a firm believer in the basketball gods, and I believe they got even on lottery night, and, and putting the Kings in front of us just that, that just hurts even more. So, you know, I obviously I don't like the outcome, but I, I've been I've been warning about this for a while coming into this as far as uh, what we did, what the Blazers did do to maybe upset the basketball gods going into this. Well, except that I would argue that the Kings are going to blow their pick on Shecky Smith or somebody like So that's actually, if there's a team to go above you, you want Sacramento because they're going to take the wrong player and leave an extra one for you. But I mean, yeah. for me, it was like once New Orleans made it and we didn't get the second pick, it's all random. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. you, you're going to get what you get, uh, and, and as we tell our preschoolers, uh, and mm -hmm. can't throw a fit. And yep. uh, the, the problem, of course, is leaving yourself at the mercy of that. And, and the sting is that the Blazers are so at the mercy of that. They needed extra assets in order to either bulk up the team or trade, and they just didn't get them. Mm -hmm. so, no. See a lot of nods. Okay. So, <laughs> Steve, who is it? Who falls to number seven then? So the interesting, I, I think the unfortunate thing about the seventh pick is, is of the players who I think are going to be there, the most intriguing players, at least for me, how I have my board assembled, are not players necessarily at positions of need for the Blazers. Uh, the, Blazer, the, Bla the Blazers obviously have needs in their front court. Unfortunately, I see a lot of guards here that I'm intrigued with, whether that's Benedict Matherin, who... Had some favorable measurements at the combine. We kind of took some of the questions away from some of what he, what we perceived he would be. Whether he can play a little bit of small forward, a little bit of shooting guard. Now, I think it's basically shooting guard, but Arizona shooting guard, you know, polished shooter. I think his efficiency numbers will come up in a more reduced role, similar to what he had as a freshman. Johnny Davis is another player who I just think he does everything. I think he is an underrated. Doesn't get enough credit for what he does defensively, one-on-one, -on -one, and in a team scheme. But again, shooting guard. Not necessarily has the size that Ben Matherin has either. So are, are we going to pigeonhole the Blazers into another shooting guard that maybe doesn't have ideal size? Then there are a couple of interesting players, though. You have Dyson Daniels and Jeremy Sohan, who are very defensive-minded, but they have a lack of outside shooting, which... As we all know, we've been down this road with the Blazers before with Damian Lillard. Are we ready for another Al Farouk Aminu, Maurice Harkless type player? Now, I think both these players are more natural ball handlers than both of those two, but it's going to be a steep learning curve for both of them. So 
I don't know really know what you do in that direction. And then, of course, you may reach for a raw, young center in Jalen Duran here, who I believe will be on the board. But there are some serious questions about what he can do offensively at the next level. And, and is he just going to be the next DeAndre Jordan? Is he just going to be a rim runner his entire career? And really, if you're looking at center, I, I think someone to watch is Mark Williams of Duke, who I think has some touch outside of the paint. And also you're looking at a player that was basically the fifth option for long stretches of time at Duke and could benefit from being in a, a more space-friendly offense because, you know, between Paulo and some of the other players on that team, they're really infringing on the areas that he wanted to work in. So those are kind of the players I'm keeping in mind. Obviously, I think the Blazers would be thrilled if a player like Keegan Murray would fall to them, but I just don't see them him dropping that far down the board. Uh, of the player that might be there, uh, A.J. Griffin, you know, he's a, a natural outside shooter, one of the most dead-eye catch-and-shoot players, but his injury history from high school really terrifies me uh, for a pick that the Blazers really can't miss on. Uh, I hope the Blazers shy away from A.J. Griffin. All right, Dan, you've heard all that. What are your thoughts to add? Uh, honestly, just kind of piggybacking on some of Steve's stuff. I'll, I'll go work from back to front here. Somebody like A.J. Griffin, who um, shot really well from college, but did, didn't show a whole lot of wiggle off the bounce, didn't show a whole lot of primary creation. Um, the, uh, talking around to f- more than a few folks, might spend more time at the four than the three at the next level, maybe a bit more like Justice Winslow, where he's a little bit undersized because his foot speed's not there. Um, but you're getting, you're talking about a guy who measured well enough, uh, who's incredibly strong, who, I mean, was really looked at as being a top player coming out of this class. Um, the one that's really interesting to me, and they'll actually say the two that are really interesting to me, are Williams and, Dy- and uh, Dyson Daniels. Williams measured out as maybe the most impressive big ever at the Combine. Um, typically when you get his length, his size, his, of all of his measurables, you get somebody a little bit stiff. Like if you remember like rookie Rudy Gobert, it was <laughs> awful, awful looking, really stiff, really gangly, not a fluid athlete. In, in talking to, to folks, I, I hunted down, and this is going to be maybe a little bit of blasphemy. I, I hunted down a bunch of Big Ten uh, folks, uh, media coaches, former players, stuff like that, because I was really intrigued in, in, in Mark Williams because he reminded me, reminded me of one person. He reminded me of Greg a seven-footer with obscene athleticism who could sit in a chair defensively and not slow down. He, he could do things that glide at that size with that wingspan and eat up so much space defensively. And he flashed levels of touch that you just don't get at that size. I mean, you, you look at the guys like Rudy Gobert, and you're like, yeah, he's a fantastic rim runner, but outside of four feet, what's we really going to do for you offensively? I think Williams is a guy who's got a little bit of juice to his game offensively. I don't... I don't think he's going to be anything more like range-wise than what DeAndre Ayton is now, being able to knock down a mid-range shot. But I think he's got a little bit of playmaking, and I think he's got a little bit more post-footwork and can kind of finish over either shoulder, the stuff that we didn't really see because, of again, there's like six guys in front of him at Duke. And Daniels grew. Daniels grew from the time he started with G League at night till now, and they mm-hmm. just hadn't got him on a scale officially um, to see how, how tall he was and how much he weighed. And I think they said he grew over almost two and a half inches because he was right around 6'5". He measured at 6'7 and a half, which... If you can, again, for all the shooting stuff, it's kind of good funny. You go back to like the previous era where they're trying to find that additional creator. If he ends up being your Sean Livingston, Evan Turner type, like that's that's a good career for him. But is that really what the Blazers need right now? If he can do the additional, if he can't do the additional stuff, like I I, I think he profiles well enough defensively, but I don't think you're looking at him as like being your stopper. I think he just ends up being a super big guard uh, that can really bother some people when he comes off of the bench. 
So let me ask. Just, go ahead. Oh, go Steve. ahead. No, please. Uh, just piggyback on Dyson Daniels, too. I think the most intriguing part of his game is, is he really played outside of the role he was comfortable with with that G League Ignite team. I mean, he was a dynamic scorer coming up through the entire time he developed. And then he gets onto a G League Ignite team where he is basically setting the table for the other players, for Jaden Harden. Jaden Hardy, especially. And then also, it's kind of interesting, the connection to Portland as far as the impact that Pujiter had on him as far as setting the table, you know, coming full circle to another Portland pilot player. Um, it'd be really interesting to see him come there because, you know, they were talking about this size and this growth that he had, and he knew the areas of improvement that he had to work on. And Mike Schmidt of ESPN went down to Australia last month and was really high on him, basically saying at that point he would be shocked if he escaped, you know, the top 10. And I think we're going to see that as the draft keeps getting a little closer because he has that pro mindset. He has a fully developed game and he doesn't really have a weakness. So uh, two questions. First of all, we're speculating that Shaden Sharps is gone by seven. Six is six is the magic number. Okay. So like, I, I don't think he makes it past six. There's there's a lot of smoke around uh, OKC wanting wanting him, and I they have the capital to move up and be like, we'll take that. And realistically, Sacramento has talked about moving back. So if OKC wanted to say dump one of their twelve draft picks on Sacramento for a later you know package and. Uh, one of the younger guys and say, here, Sacramento, take one of these guys. And also here's two picks. They could easily pick fourth and, and take a big swing at Shaden. Cause that's really what Presley's look at loading up to do is just to take big swings and Shaden, Shaden and Chad are the two biggest swings. I think you can take in the lottery. Yeah. Yeah. Shaden's game still though. I, I mean, through the combine, I mean, I think somehow we know even less about him after the combine, which it just blows my mind, but I, I think he is the perfect OKC pick as well. Like, He's another big swing, and I, I couldn't imagine OKC having Chet, Poku, and Shaden Sharp as far as just unproven players, but we'll, we'll see. And then also, you know, there is some framework there with SGA coming from the, the Canadian system and having Shaden Sharp piggyback in there. I think that would be a good launching point for his career. So second question, a lot of these players you have named don't necessarily have to go at seven. Any chance the Blazers trade down and try to pilfer an asset plus uh, a player they like? I, I think there's a lot of players range 10 through 15 that I really like. I mean, Jeremy Sohan is one of them. Um, now, I do think I agree with Dan. I think Mark Williams is going to move up in this draft. But 10 to 15, I, I think you have a chance to pick up potentially a veteran and a player that might be more equipped to come in. And it might play a more defined role and have a lower ceiling, but but could definitely contribute on a winning team. I mean, you're looking at EJ Liddell for Ohio State and some of these other players that are proven producers at the college level that, you know, might not transform your franchise, but can definitely be helpful on a current timeline. And, and I... I mean, I, I hate to see this team end up in a situation like they were in 2017, where they're trading around and get, thunder. A, a, and get into a spot where where maybe you're you're taking the wrong player here. But I want to be very clear: there's a lot of players I do like 10 to 15, and there's a lot of players I really like in that second round range at picks pick 36 that I think are going to be very attractive. That I think will soften the blow for this team if they do trade down or trade completely out of the number seven pick. I was uh, I was going to say this draft really reminds me of 2017 and that back end of the lottery in that <sighs> Zach Zach Collins is going to catch some straights here. Sorry, Zach. Um, 
he didn't have a, a NBA skill that could get him on the floor. Steve, you remember me saying that when we drafted him, like, what is it, what does it get him on the floor? And everybody else that everybody talks about it, you know, the OGs, the Donovan Mitchells, the Bams, the John Collins, they all had a, a skill set that would, you go, that gets them on the floor. You look at basically everybody projected between 10 and 15, there is an, a definable NBA skill set that gets them on the floor, that gets them that opportunity to go out there and show that not only do they belong, maybe they have a larger platform with a guy like Bam, it was his playmaking and his defense, with a guy like John Collins, it was his ability to spread the floor. With a guy like even OG at 23, it was like, I just blew up my knee, but I'm all, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm really good. Donovan Mitchell goes out there like a pocket-sized Dwayne Wade in his rookie year. So you get these guys that show like an ability that just gets more and more and more. And I think Mark Williams, I think he's probably the most NBA-ready big in this draft. I mean, probably, he's the most NBA-ready big. I think you can put him out there as a rookie, and he'll have a learning curve. But I think you can get, like, asking him to give you 10 to 12 minutes a night, I don't think is a stretch. I think he's smart enough to understand that. I think he has the size and the, the grown body to handle that stuff. Liddell's, I think, a guy you can throw out there. Uh, kind of like an advanced Kaminga, not necessarily in body type, but, like, I trust you to go out there and play defensively because you've already shown this at the college level. And there's so few guys who show they can really defend in college that you you trust from day one. I think you look at Edith Liddell and you're like, I think uh, – Brian Kaprowski asked these guys, sat down with them, was like, hey, you know, who do you compare yourself to? And I can't remember who it was, but I remember him talking about it was, it was two kind of lower level guys. Where everybody's like, oh, no, you, I'm like Kevin Durant. You know, they're comparing themselves to all yeah. NBA guys. And he compared himself to two different role players. And I thought that was really interesting. He was like, no, I know who I am. And I think guys who know who they are and have a definable skill set are much more likely to be successful. And I think you saw a lot of that in 2017, particularly in that back half, that lottery up, up to like pick mm-hmm. 22, 23. And just to piggyback again, I know this is kind of turning into the Mark Williams hour a little bit, but just to hit you with a stat, something that I really made the case for Chet Holmgren myself was his foul rate and his block percentage was very impressive. Mark Williams is in the same you know mold as that. So his block percentage, 11.5%, that's number 17 in the nation per Ken Palm stats. And then also foul committed per 40 minutes is only 3.5. I mean, there's really only one person in this class that's similar to that, and that's Chet Holmgren, who we're talking as uh, being a top three pick. So I think there's a lot to like about Mark Williams, and I think if you're talking about a player who has room to grow, he is just one uh, of three or four Duke players in this draft that I think could show more at the next level, especially when we're talking about you know those second-round picks and Wendell Moore and Keels. But, but I love Mark Williams in this draft. EJ Liddell, I believe, you know, really – like you said, comparing yourself to role players, I think PJ Tucker might have been one of them. Yep. So, like, it, it, and it makes sense, and that is encouraging. It just feels like EJ Liddell is just such a like a Spurs type pick, and those are the picks that you mm-hmm. want the Blazers to start making, especially if they're looking to build on Damian Lillard's timeline. You yep. want those role players because that's how the Spurs built this dynasty was supplementing it through controlled contracts rookie players that could, could play significant roles or, or meaningful roles, not necessarily significant. Sure. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot, and I know you both are going to nuance this more on Church of Roy podcast and Jack Ramsey's podcast in the next month, but now one month away from the draft, basically. Let's assume the Blazers keep the pick. Do you want them to trade up and for whom? I mean, realistically, they're not going to trade up to number one, but, you know, realistic trade up and for whom, or pick at seven and for whom, or trade down and for whom. You got to take one of those three options and give us a for whom. What's your gut say? If they were going to use the pick in the draft, what's the best way to go? 
I, for me, I, it's a name I've already mentioned, but I, I think they could trade down here and, and realistically get a chance to go get Jeremy Sohan here. And, and I think that would be a, a wise move depending on what the other asset is that you pick up. Now, is that a role player? Is that another future draft asset you can use to go get a veteran? Uh, I like both those options. As far as Sohan goes, I think he can come in and play a very defined role, uh, maybe like a, a Stanley Johnson early in his career, which before it kind of went off the rails for the Pistons, he was playing in a playoff series. He was playing meaningful minutes. I think you get that with Sohan. I think his ball skills and his court vision separate him a little bit from that Stanley Johnson comparison, but I still think he could be very useful early on in his career. And I think he just kind of fits what the Blazers are trying to do. And especially if you, I think you can move back to 12, 13 and still get him there. Okay. Dan, same question. <clears throat> Sorry. I, uh, I look at this and uh, I, all of the, the common sense stuff says Orlando is going to take Jabari Smith, but there's a lot of people that I've talked to that believe that they're going to take Chet Holmgren. Hammond, the general manager, is the same guy in Orlando who drafted Giannis based on nothing but sky-high potential and just raw skill. And if that happens, I can see Presti absolutely packing it up. There's, I, I put the tweet out the other day because of you know talking to folks that if Chet Holmgren's not there, OKC is not in the business of of just taking players. They are in the business of taking big swings or getting out. They are, they have a direction for their franchise. It is taking the biggest swing they can at every single opportunity. That is what they are doing. So for them, I listen, if the Blazers have an opportunity to give up number seven, give up the Milwaukee pick, strip the protections of the Chicago pick, give up their 2025 first and move up to number two, looking at the draft value, it looks like for, for those that don't know, there's a chart that Kevin Pelton puts together. Points-wise, it adds up to about what it would require, a little over what it would require typically, plus a little on top to, you know, you're moving up to number two. And I, and I would look to, to, to land Jabari Smith. I think Jabari Smith Jr. is the best player possible to pair with Damian Lillard, to pair with Yusuf Nurkic, to pair with Anthony Simons. Like, he is the guy that kind of makes everything come together it's, from any player in this class. As much as I, I look at Chet and I go, oh, he's, he's a good player. I think, he, I think his, his floor is a lot higher than people are, are, are considering. I think Paolo is going to be a good player. I look at Jabari, I, as much as Chet has this sky-high potential, I look at Jabari and I go, that's a six-foot-ten dude with a ratchet who can absolutely shoot over anybody in the NBA. And there's like three guys in the entire league who can do that, and they're all all NBA guys. So, I mean, the, the terrifying part of that is he turns into Anthony Randolph with a three-point shot. You know, like, that's a little scary. But if he doesn't, well, then you've got Richard Lewis Jr. and you're you're cooking. <laughs> so uh, that's, the, that's the kind of thing, like, again – and Joe Cronin has hinted at this. They are they're going to be aggressive one way or another. And whether that's in the draft or uh, through trade or through signing trades, they are going to take big swings. Yeah, I mean, I would go for that second scenario in a heartbeat because you're giving up all kinds of maybe useful assets if you work real hard and look the right direction for something that you're pretty sure is going to work. Uh, and the downside of it isn't too bad. But, uh, you know, the magic formula here. And here, oh, by the way, also you see the absolute tragedy of not getting that second pick because you need both and, right? The Blazers really needed more assets to move with uh, to either facilitate that kind of deal or to draft somebody and trade for somebody without blinking and without digging too deep. And they didn't get that, right? If I think if we were looking at two lottery picks, we'd be sitting pretty. All right, we're going to draft somebody and we're going to trade somebody or yeah. that other pick for somebody. And it's just not working. And you're trying to do three things with one pick. And it's not... 
they're going to have to get really crafty here. But let's let's go another direction now. Let's assume that they're going to move the pick. What scenarios do you find most exciting? And then if you've missed some that have been in the ether, I might bring them up a little bit later. But Blazers decide they don't want in this draft. They can't move up, uh, don't want to move down. Instead, they're picking for somebody else and leveraging that pick. What do you think it can get them? Go ahead, Dan. This is your dojo. (laughs) (laughs) in, In my discussions over the past two weeks, the the noise has been most, mostly around two players, and that is DeAndre Aiden and OG Ananobi. As of today, I got a couple text messages that said that uh, things have progressed or um, soured, I should say, on DeAndre Aiden in Phoenix to the point of where it may have been 70-30 he was going to return. It may be 30-70 that he's going to return now. Uh, it, it sounds like everything is being packed up where they're, they're just done, and Aiden's looking to move on. Um, the Blazers are, are, again, in the business of taking a big swing. And, and as much as I've talked about DeAndre Aiden, I don't necessarily think it's the best move imaginable. I just think that it's the best possible talent that they could get. And they are in a talent acquisition phase right now, regardless. And of everybody named, DeAndre Aiden is the best player out there. I know there's this talk about Yusuf Nurkic being good enough. Yusuf Nurkic is not good enough in high leverage situations in the playoffs. He does get played off the floor. DeAndre Ayton played 38 minutes a game against Giannis in the NBA Finals and was productive. Find me another big in the league that does it. It's not named Jokic or Embiid. So if you've got an opportunity to give up Yusuf Nurkic number seven and Eric Bledsoe or whether it's the 2025 pick, you just do it and you just figure the rest out. You just mm-hmm. I, that that's that's where I live now. This is. Uh, let me uh, interrupt you no, for a second because this is what I said the other day uh, on another interview. Is that the difference between Aiton and Nurkic is, if everything goes perfectly, sure they're maybe comparable, but if you have to retool later, you know, like yep. if this doesn't work out, you cannot rebuild around use of Nurkic. No. You can keep. DeAndre Ayton as a future asset, either to build around, to quasi-build around, or to trade. Uh, and Nurkic, as soon as he's not a really high-level complementary player to other players who are great around him, his value will plummet. And yeah. I'm not saying he does that well for the Blazers, okay? But that's because they're in the position they're in right now. As soon as they're not in that position anymore, he's like, you know, a bag of sugar in the uh, cupboard, but you're making green beans. I mean, you don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a great bag of sugar. You can't use it. And the other part of this is that I go with DeAndre Ayton. If I told you that you could have DeAndre Ayton and Anthony Simons tied up for the next four years at $50 million when the TV deal is going to go up, regardless of what you're paying Damian Lillard, because I don't care what the billionaires pay, like pay, just pay the damn luxury tax. You've got guys under contract. Like that's, that's, that's what this new ownership group we will talk about here in a little bit. If they come in, that's their, that's their problem. I don't care about it. I understand the salary cap implications, the CBA stuff, but you should not care about what that does for this team right now for this season, because no matter what they do, they are not going to be the team. It is going to be an 18-month cycle. So if you have the opportunity to get a dyed-in-the-wool, all-star caliber big that you have not had since LaMarcus Aldridge, you shut up, you swallow your pride, and you take that all-star big and you pay him. Now, the only pushback I will have to this is OG Ananobi, and that's because he's the, 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 the function of both fit need and salary og is on one of the best deals in the entire nba for a veteran he is an absolute stud from what i've been told he is not thrilled about being squeezed out in toronto scotty barnes 
his ascent, uh, Fred Van Vliet getting significantly more touches. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. Listen, I love me some Gare Bear. Guess what? He is a play ender. He is this generation's Wes Matthews. That ball hits his hand. It is going up. That is, it's just not, that is not fitting into, you know, version two Kawhi, which is what kind of OG was being called a little more than a year ago. He was that guy. And it was like, so you can imagine he took the discounted contract thinking, hey, you know, I'll be the guy on the next one. <laughs> Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Scotty Barnes has surpassed you. He is now the guy. That is who they're building around. So if he's asking if quietly asking out and you have the opportunity to get him for a lottery pick in one of your role players, you do that as well. You figure that and then you go figure the other stuff out. And then there's there's a couple other names that I've heard. John Collins and Kevin Herter from both from Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta Hawks are, are looking to do what it sounds like what the Blazers did at the trade deadline, and that is liquidate a lot of money. They are trying to restructure their books because they are lining up to look very, very much like the 2017 Trailblazers after the 2016 offseason, where contracts are kicking in and everybody's getting paid. Trey Young just made an all-NBA team. Guess what that means? He is now eligible for a full five-year Supermax deal. So he will be eating up a, that, that nice little deal that Trey Young was on. It's going away. So now they need to find a way to get young contracts. How do you get young contracts? You get that with lottery or with draft picks. What do the Blazers have? Well, they have the ability to send draft picks and eat salary. So you could see, very easily see how you could see uh, Portland taking either, either Herter or um, John Collins. I would lean towards Collins. Even if he doesn't fit into the TPE, you can still fit him in as an over-the-cap over team by massaging some things gently uh, to kind of figure some things out. And then there's obviously Jeremy Grant. And then there's a third option here. Or actually, it's the third option. A fourth option here. Rudy Gobert is most likely going to be traded. Donovan Mitchell is most likely staying in Utah. That, that's kind of how this appears to be working out. Gobert makes $40 million. What teams can help facilitate that and take on in-prime, ready-to-play veterans and maybe send out lottery picks? Well, you're Portland Trailblazers. What teams need bigs? Does Toronto need a big? I've heard that Gobert going to Toronto is a possibility. I've heard Gobert to Arizona or to Phoenix to, to flop bigs there. I've heard Gobert to Golden State. I've heard Gobert to Charlotte. There's there's ready-made players that the Blazers can be like, hey, we can take those guys. Listen, we, you, you, need, you need a place to drop $21 million? We can do that. And I think those are the kind of opportunities right now that the Blazers have put themselves in a the position to capitalize on. And I hate that whole flexibility talk because we've got so much with Neil. But the difference, for at least for me, between Neil O'Shea and Joe Cronin at this point in time is the lip service was there with Neil. Behind the scenes, those big deals were never being swung for. In the past month, I have heard Joe Cronin involved with larger scale deals than any time I heard in the O'Shea administration. And so I think that's at least, if it's not great, it's at least promising. And oh, look at that. Yusuf Nurkic just quote tweeted me. That's going to be fun. That's going to be a fun night now. Oh, yeah. That's never good. <laughs> that is, that is, that's happened to me before, too. Uh, yeah. uh, yay, Nurk. Hi. Uh, so, uh, the, the Church of Roy would know nothing about that because we are Nurk's number one favorite podcast in the Portland market. And we worked very hard for that billing. <laughs> of course you are. But, uh, as, <laughs> as far as far as I, I do want to circle back to the, the idea of Gobert and DeAndre, and here's what scares me is my dad 
moved from Montana in the 80s to Oregon. He had a very nice chainsaw that he spent a lot of money for. It was really good at chopping down trees. He moved to the high desert of Eastern Oregon, and that chainsaw was no longer as useful. And I, I really wonder about how useful a high salary center is in today's NBA. When you look at even the four teams that are in the finals right now, Two of them are just kind of plug-and-play centers in the Warriors and the Celtics. And, and really, Bam is kind of a different breed of center than, than even Aiden or Gobert. So I, I am a little worried about committing that level of salary to a traditional center, but I do think there is something to zig when everybody else is zagging as far as going small. That said, I would much rather have OG. If I had my pick of everybody who has been – mentioned that might be in the Blazers orbit right now. Like Dan said, I think the salary is right. The age is right. The fit is right. I would really love to focus the Blazers assets towards a player like that. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think he fits on Dame's timeline. He fits on Ant's timeline. And you can go and get a center at 50% of the cost that might provide 70% of the production. And I'll take that trade off you know, any day of the week. Right. Well, and with those two, it's a choice, obviously, between Aiton and OG. Uh, well, Aiton, let me circle back to the two things that concern me about him are, I think you kind of brought this up, Steve. He's the what best center in the NBA, the nth best center, you know, and one of the things that we've been emphasizing uh, when Dee and I have talked is like, you got to have some unique assets. It's not just enough to be pretty good now there's synergy and that's all that but you know the the warriors are the poster children for that but oh excuse me they have steph curry literally the best shooters ever been in the nba they have draymond green who may be able to make an argument for the best role player who's ever been in the nba they've got unique things that nobody else has along with their synergy okay um you can't and and one of the things we talk about damian lillard where is he in that hierarchy i don't think you can claim he's number two anymore right? Because uh, Steph's still there. Uh, John Morant is creeping up. Luka Doncic, you know, there. Uh, and Dame did not make an all-NBA team this year, obviously because of extraneous circumstances. But, I mean, is he making first team? I don't know, right? So, you know, you got Dame, who's somewhere in third, fourth, fifth, best point guard, and then you get Aiton. Okay, he did not make an all-NBA team either, nor would he have been close anywhere to the top three, and certainly not anywhere near Embiid and Jokic. So you're getting, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, uh, you know, but only, go ahead. You are getting the best NBA center at NBA 2K, who in an ESPN story two weeks ago, admittedly is playing between 40 and 60 hours a week of 2K. So that, you know, that's something. Well, you know. that, that's that. <laughs> <laughs> the 2K that, that, team that's a little will be thrilled. Yes, he's, he's going to have arthritis <laughs> with next year. But the other thing that concerns me about Aiton a little bit, although I would still do this deal, you, you, I get the situation. I get it, I get it, I get it. But you can't get along with Monty Williams. You know, you... you yeah. Uh, that, that makes me... That's a little bit of a red flag for me. Uh, and also, you're coming into Chauncey Billups, who, yes, he's a second-year coach now, but that, that was not coaching last year. I get he coached everybody up, but that was not comparable to a normal season in any way, shape, or form. So, in essence, he gets season 1A, not season two. Uh, and, and, you know, is he going to be able to massage this? 
And what happens, we'll talk about this at the end, but what happens if it doesn't work? I mean, there are really dire consequences. So those are little red flags with Aiton. That said, I still do it. Uh, quickly, opinions. Aiton, Collins, uh, you have a clear preference toward Aiton in, as far as that big man battle? I, I, I've been a John Collins advocate for a few years now, so I, I just really like his game. I like his athleticism. Um, he, he's also had a deep playoff run in Atlanta. Now, not quite as deep as DeAndre Ayton, but I think what he does, he can play alongside the traditional center. I think he can play as a small ball center um, pretty easily. So I think you get a little more positional versatility there. And, and I think there's some parts to his game that we haven't quite seen yet even. So I, I think he's due for a scenery change and, and, and along with DeAndre Ayton, but I really like the potential of getting John Collins out of that Atlanta situation. And, and I mean, there's been friction between him and Trey young for years now. So uh, I would like to see him get to a different situation. I think Portland's a perfect opportunity for him. So if I had to choose between the two, I think I'm team John Collins in that scenario. How about you, Dan? Between Collins and Aiden, I, I would lean more Aiden because the contract's going to be $5 million difference. And while Collins gives you more versatility, Aiden, and this is the thing that for all of, I don't want to say his his negative marks, like, again, Monty Williams being a little bit frustrated with you, uh, gaming until 5 o'clock in the morning, and maybe not taking things quite as seriously as he should. Number one, he's 23 years old, 24 years old here, I think, in two months. He's still a kid. And I just wonder... Particularly when he 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 sacrificed in that finals run, he decided to to take a back seat on touches and uh, didn't complain. Was a good soldier, and then honestly, he got screwed over by Phoenix. He got screwed over by Sarver and, and that ownership. And I think that impacted him really this year. I think that impacted his concentration. When you're told, "Hey, do X, Y, and Z, we'll pay you," and then you do X, Y, and Z, and you don't get paid. It's very difficult for, for I know some people are like just 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 do what you need to do man just do what you need to do. It's very hard to tell a 23-year-old who's losing out on tens of millions of dollars to just do what he needs to do. No, he did what he was asked to do and it didn't it didn't materialize. And that I wonder how much that fractured that relationship and I look at that and I go, "Listen, John Collins can do some things offensively and he can really create and but I think it's harder to find a guy like Aiden who you can stay big in the playoffs no matter what. There's nobody that's playing him off the floor. I've seen some, well, Luca, Luca really busted him up in the playoffs. And I'm like, if the bar for is containing Luca Doncic in the playoffs, listen, I, there's maybe three guys in the league who can stay out there. So I, I lean Aiton because the price tag is going to be pretty similar. And I think it's harder to find a, a defensive minded big you can keep on the floor than it is to find a shot creating big that you can maybe keep on the floor. Yeah, Aiton's a better defender, right? I mean, yeah. There's not much question about that. Uh, no. And get the money thing, this is what people here, we'll, we'll, we'll do a Dia thing. Uh, let's talk about the human element of this. I mean, it's not like the money is in a vacuum and just isn't there. Like Phoenix went to the bank and they can't withdraw it. You're yeah. paying that money to other people. And I think whether you're 23, 33, or 83, and you're really doing your job and you feel like you're a unique asset to this organization, and they are spending that money on people who aren't you, and rewarding them, and they don't reward you, that's going to go. And so there, there might be a little uptick of, you know, finally I'm wanted. Uh, you, you, there's a chance you don't get a good Aiton, but there's a chance you get a really good Aiton. So, I mean, I, I would take that. Um, let's, let's ask this, though. We only mentioned him by lip service. Jeremy Grant. Mm -hmm. Two questions. First of all, 
there's no way you trade the seven pick for him, right? And second of all, uh, you know, what option is he? Where does he rank in this hierarchy? Uh, anybody, either one of you. I think the most interesting Jeremy Grant angle I've heard was today <laughs> in a while, Jake Fisher's reporting for Bleacher Report. I think a DeAndre Ayton, uh, Jeremy Grant swap between the Pistons and the Suns makes a ton of sense for both sides. Um, if you're looking at from a Pistons standpoint to build around Cade, uh, Sadiq Bay, and DeAndre Ayton, Ayton going forward, you're talking about a team that's instantly viable in the, in the Eastern Conference and a potential dynasty for a decade. Um, but that said, Jeremy Grant, I, I think, makes sense for Portland. I just, the, the number seven pick is pretty steep i don't think that's a real possibility i think if you're talking about maybe the 36 pick in this draft and potentially the bucks pick going forward that that seems like a price range i'm more comfortable with but if the blazers want to get completely cut out of this i, I think the suns and the pistons should really entertain that conversation <laughs> looking at grant i i think he slots in as like option four or option five for the blazers i i know that's a guy that damian lillard has mentioned before Privately, he's also mentioned OG Ananobi, and I think either one of those guys. It's convenient that they're both close clients, and you look at DeAndre Ayton, who's a uh, Bill Duffy client, and that's also the same agent that's representing Anthony Simons. If, you, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, there, there seems to be a, a new collective uh, behind the scenes in Portland that's not Mark, Mark Bartlestein clients. And uh, I, I think there's an opportunity to get Jeremy Grant for less than uh, the number seven pick. I, I think if they really want to get it done, I think some combination of Bledsoe, the 2025 pick, and uh, Keon Johnson can can ultimately get this done because it's an expiring contract. They're not going to pay him. And I don't. And I, I know that they asked uh, another Eastern Conference team uh, at the combine in discussions for a lottery pick, a young player, and a veteran player. And that, from what I was told, they kind of got laughed out of the room. And the Blazers are giving like the lesser version of that package, and that. A first-round pick, a good young player, I think. I, Keon Johnson is actually viewed pretty well around the league by a lot of general managers from, from what I've been told. Uh, and I think then you get the the veteran player slash uh, expiring money that you can kind of finagle in, in Bledsoe's contract. And I think that's if, – if Grant gets dealt somewhere else uh, other than Aiden where I think there's some extenuating circumstances there, I don't think there's going to be a big haul. I think that that might be a perfect storm for Detroit, and ultimately that would be – a, a a coup for them. I mean, realistically, if they were able to flip an expiring contract, basically for DeAndre eight. Yeah. I mean, two things in that. First of all, the Blazers do have to be a little bit careful not to get agent locked. I mean, you get a black hole of one agent, and if you're the Lakers, although <laughs> their general manager is, is an agent now, so maybe they're not the best example, but I think if you're a larger marker market, bigger cachet team, that you can avoid some of that. But if you get a lot of players connected in Portland and you pull one string and it affects a lot of strings, you can make your franchise very vulnerable. That's almost like a hostile takeover. So I'm not saying they would avoid a player because of that, but, you know, that is a legit concern. Um, but as far as Grant goes, he feels to me like the and the ampersand comes <laughs> and he comes after that. Right. So there's whatever move there is and Grant to absolutely make this a home run summer as opposed to Grant being the swing that they take yep. and he's like a, a, a double maybe and you hope you don't get thrown out at the plate. Listen, man, we're, we're going to go full analogies. If he's the French fries, you're doing good. If he's the steak, you're, you're not going Wagyu. You know, it's, it's not... <laughs> 
you got Stakeham. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, listen, and listen, I think Grant's a fine player, but when you're uh-huh. talking about tacking the additional money on top of it and extending it for four years, that's where it gets a little bit dicier for me. So, oh, yeah. I mean, and this is the thing. And let's move into this. So, you talk about financially. And one of the realities is if the Blazers do intend to go forward with Damian Lillard and add players to him that are going to make a difference, this summer is going to get very expensive very quick. I mean, Aiton mm-hmm. obviously wants money. Jeremy Grant wants money. Ananobi, not too much, right? So that's actually... He's got two more years at a great deal. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's, 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 that's they, you know, that may be a dodge if you can get him. I'm not sure. I guess I haven't checked Collins's contract, but I'm assuming that's going to cost. So yeah. you're, you're committing a lot of money right now, which in the abstract is okay, but it does mean that you're making your move this summer. But there's another thing that Dee and I have kind of argued about, which is there's no more time. If the Blazers strike out this summer, let's say they go for all these players and end up getting none of them or just getting Grant. This is this is done. I mean, Lillard has one more year, maybe, in my estimation, even if the Blazers extend him. I mean, before, even if they keep him at that point, you're going, we just give up and we're keeping Lillard for pub, right? (laughs) And and, and for good feelings, but we're not seriously going to make a run with him, right? So the Blazers have to strike and strike hard this summer or, you know deal with the reality that they've just spent a lot of money, perhaps, or they fail to spend a lot of money and they're not going to win either way and Lillard's tenure is really in question. Does that seem logical to you guys? Do you guys pretty much agree with this, that it's it's now or never with this? Well, just to add, too, when you're talking about how expensive this summer is going to get, you have all those hypothetical moves, and then obviously the, the one move I am positive is going to happen is Anthony Simons is going to get paid this summer. So that is another $20 million you're going to add to this entire bill. Um, And they're not going to let Nurkic go either. They may sign and trade him, but they're not going to let Nurkic walk for anything. It would make, or for nothing rather, it would make no sense. Go ahead. And they've all, we've also heard talks that they, they are very interested in protecting Joe Ingles bird rights as well. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of ways this gets very, very expensive. What does concern me is, is the same things that you mentioned, Dave. I think this is a do or die situation for the Damian Lillard era. I, I think they have to make considerable steps moving forward. The thing that does concern me, and I do appreciate what Joe Cronin was able to do and create this flexibility. I, I am still waiting to to cast judgment on some of these moves, but let's be very clear. The first move he makes to make this team better will be the first move of that nature for Joe Cronin. He is, he has torn this thing down. Now we have to see if he can build it back up and that will be a first. And we have not seen his ability to do that yet. Now I think he can do that, but it will be the first move of that nature. And we're banking on a lot of uncertainty here. We have a market that traditionally does not attract these type of players. We have a GM that has not made a significant move to make this team better yet. And, you know, there's there's a lot of questions here. So, yeah, I, I am very concerned and, and very much on pins and needles here going into the season. I mean, you saw the look of disappointment on Damian Lillard's face when the number seven pick came up. That, that was a look of someone who was really hoping there was going to be a different outcome there. So, um, yeah, I think all eyes are on Portland. And we've seen that already with the level of rumors already at this point in the year. Well, Dame's probably the most optimistic person in the NBA. Obviously, I am not. <laughs> uh, my, my pessimism knows no balance. 
so it's been very funny for me for, to watch people say that uh, I'm a uh, Joe Cronin Homer or something along those lines. I don't, I don't trust anything. The only difference is, is now that I, I know that the, the previous regime is gone, that those previous limitations are now gone. Now, there may be worse limitations that are put in place. We don't know. But the fact that, that the chance for a big swing is possible has me, I don't want to say optimistic, because I don't think I can ever be like truly optimistic. Like, maybe um, less, less so looking at things in a, in a uh, totally grim light. And that's where I'm sitting right now. And I think to kind of go back to what you're, what you're asking here, Dave, the whole idea of like the big swing, they repealed or removed all of Neil O'Shea's past four moves solely so they would have an opportunity for this summer. So this summer is make or break, which is why I think the judgment will come on Joe Cronin very quickly um, by the time they basically get out of free agency uh, to at least the, the, the overall archetype of what, what or how things are going to shape up. And this is it. Now, the, the filling in around the rest of the roster, that will take place from this season on. And I'm not necessarily worried about that. That's why they have to get somebody. That's why they have to trade that pick because they're not going to have the capacity to have those, those traded player exceptions basically until a trade deadline and then come trade deadline. Then you're hoping and praying that somebody shakes free. Right now, you might actually have the ability to shake someone free. Tamper away. I want them. I want them making every phone call, every plane flight. Like I want them doing everything they can. I don't care about a hundred and fifty thousand dollar, five hundred thousand dollar tampering fine, loss of a second round draft pick. Tamper away. This is your opportunity to capitalize on that flexibility, that F word that everybody wants to keep throwing around. And if you don't get at least one legitimate rotation player who's above replacement level, what the hell did you do everything for? Right. And I think that's really where you sit right now. It's just. This, this is this is it, and it's Dave. You and I have talked about this for seven years. Every single off season, are they going to step up and swing? And then you you know, I've asked, just swing. If you fail, you fail. It's going to suck, but just swing. And from the discussions that I have had, and, and and from the intel that I've been able to gather, they look like they are trying to swing. They are going up to the plate. They are not taking pitches. Well, and this is the thing: is that I think they've tried to swing before, perhaps, and it never got beyond the launching pad. <laughs> they, they got stuck in the on deck circle. Yeah. The big fear is that that happens again. Uh, and let's take Steve's Aiton for Grant trade, and that goes down, and all of a sudden, two of the rumored four names that are hot are are done. So now you're going, oh, please, Ananobi, or please, Collins, there's got to be something, right? Mm -hmm. And then you ask, even if that is enough. But, Dan, you also brought up something that's going to be foundational to this offseason, which is you talked about the trade deadline. And in order to make moves at the trade deadline to improve this team, you have to have players on this team who are tradable with contract slots. So you're likely to see some weird moves. You're going, well, the Blazers are rebuilding. Are they trying? What are they taking that player for? Well, they're not taking that player for the next three years, and they're not taking that player to save money. They're taking that player so when it comes to February, they have something to put in the hopper to send out someone else to make salaries balance because they're going to be over the cap. They have to, to do that. Out. Yep. Yeah. And, and Joe Cronin's had a front row seat to how this has bitten the Blazers in the butt before. I mean, you look at how the Blazers consolidated Maurice Harkless and Myers Leonard's contract into a single Hassan Whiteside monster deal. And we were told this was going to help trade opportunity when it actually just kneecapped it. So, I mean, hopefully, and I'm confident, I mean, by every report we've heard, 
Joe Cronin has learned from every person he's worked under and everybody he's been around. And I would assume, like you said, I think this is, I mentioned Joe Ingles' bird rights, Eric Bledsoe. We might not see that contract waived. You know, we might, they might want to preserve that as a movable salary. So, you know, like you said, I I think we're going to see a lot of stuff move around here. The other thing I do want to point out, and I'm already seeing people do it, is don't fall in love with random names that feel like a good idea. TJ Warren is a fun name to say, but don't get your heart set on him because when it doesn't happen, you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. So like just, and it even comes down to the, tra- the tradable players. You never know who's going to become available. Don't pigeonhole yourself into, this is the only player that's going to make the Blazers better. Like there's going to be opportunities. Don't set yourself up for disappointment. I, I'm speaking very much uh, from experience. I think me and Dan fell deeply in love with Jay Crowder at the MLE level a couple of years ago, and it didn't happen. And we were very devastated and had like an hour long argument over it. So <laughs> learn from our mistakes. Well, and they're looking for assets. Yeah. I mean, that's just even let's say it all does fall apart. And by the way, that is an absolutely open possibilities possibility, right? And we may be sitting here in August going, damn, damn, this is not good, right? But they will probably still make moves at somebody so that they can have those assets going forward. And even if, even if they look at each other and go, gosh, we gotta, I guess we got to move Dame now, you still got to have something left to make those moves for other people's draft picks and stuff like that. So I, I bet those will be there. The, the question will be, again, and you just brought it up, they were min-maxed so much. It was like a role-playing game. Three stats, super high, $40 million contracts, right? And then everything else at a three, minimum salary. You are stuck then. You cannot make any moves. I expect that, like you, they will maybe take a flyer on keeping Bledsoe or try to sign Ingles to a contract. Or maybe, depending on how the salaries shake out, use their MLE. You know, to to get somebody that they feel is usable, but also that's kind of a mask for tradable. Uh, One guy we haven't uh, mentioned, Zach Levine. Uh, Any, I mean, what's the triumvirate think of of that potential deal? I mean, that's that's somebody on a hill sending smoke signals. Uh, It's just, (laughs) I listen. Jake Fisher is about as plugged in as it gets. Um, I, I think there's definitely some some water being carried for for clutch in that regard to get Reinsdorf to open up his wallet. It's not a secret that Levine wasn't thrilled about becoming second fiddle to DeMar DeRozan's quasi camp or MVP campaign uh, because it was really his team. And then it became their team. And then by the end of the season, it was DeMar's team. And then again, every one of these guys that's at this level has an ego. None of like, again, like Yusuf Nurkic quote tweeted me because I said oh, DeAndre Ayton's better than him. And he's basically calling me a clown right now. That's if, if Nurk thought that he was lesser than DeAndre Ayton, I'd be frustrated because that's what these guys do. So I think that this is a leverage play um, for looking at what's, what's out there because the Blazers are not going to go. Joe Cronin, after stripping away all of the extra guards is not going to go get another combo guard. That's just not what's going to happen. And they're certainly not going to go trade away Anthony Simons, who's going to be paid less than Zach Levine and probably be close to, if not at the same production level within a year or two. So uh, that's one I definitely have zero belief, whether or not he's from Seattle. (laughs) 
Well, that's what I want. I want to get to my main thing. I want to touch on here is I. I think we need to bury forever the idea that Seattle people are want going to, come to be home? Attra- attracted to come home to Portland and the Pacific North. That is just not a thing. Never been a thing. Never will be a thing. Like let's let's forget about that again. Jake Fisher very plugged in, but it is cracks me up whenever I see that as a storyline for a, a Seattle-based player is going to come home. Um, not not going to happen. As far as Zach Levine, it's something I've mentioned before, but if you remember back to the immediate aftermath of LaMarcus Aldridge leaving, the Blazers did have some cap flexibility. Um, J.R. Smith used the Blazers as leverage to try to get a new deal from the Cavs. I think this is just a, a larger scale version of that. Like the Blazers are the, the team that has flexibility, the F word again, and Clutch is going to use them. They're going to, this is why Zach Levine moved on from his previous agent last year and moved to Clutch is because he wanted someone to go out and advocate for him. So that's, I think, what we're seeing I don't think it makes a lot of sense for for Zach Levine or the Blazers, really. So I, I I'm fully out on this this idea. Yeah, we discussed a little bit last week. I mean, Levine is brilliant offensively, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Just absolutely, I didn't even think he would be as good as he is. I mean, it's just phenomenal. But for the Blazers, I'm not saying this about Levine himself. I'm saying for the Blazers, this would be like saying, "I'm hungry for some dessert." And going out to one of those buffets and getting the five-gallon vat of tapioca pudding, it's like, damn, that's dessert. Damn, there's a lot of it. Boy, I'm not sure that I can eat that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you could have done, you could have gotten a cheesecake or a slice of something. You know, you just, there's, yep, you're right. Biggest dessert ever, but can't, can't use that. <laughs> it's like, so... Yeah. Is there anybody uh, we haven't mentioned that is on your radar or any, you know, thoughts? I think we've covered most of the names who are out there. Anyone you'd like to see the Blazers go after that isn't out there yet? Like, well, I think it'd be a disservice if we didn't bring up Julius Randle at least once. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if the Knicks would ever make him available. I mean, I think the Knicks. I mean, no, he's and, and Julius. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I think they, he's they would. Available. They would love to to separate pass. I just don't know what the asking price would even start at, or how you would I, even begin to navigate that. I don't think that it's deal. that high. I, I genuinely don't think it's that high. And the thing is, is if you get him now, whether you're still in this league year, his contract's doable. As soon as it gets into a new league year, then it becomes significantly more expensive. And that, I don't think that's a path that the Blazers should it should explore. I mean, whether it's Aiton or Nurkic, I don't think there's a there's a pairing there that makes sense. I mean, if we if we want to if we want to you know do a little callback, the Pacers may have traded some bonus, but I've heard that they're more than willing to trade Miles Turner still. So if you miss out on Aiton, if you miss out on on uh, OG like or or any if you miss out on John Collins, like if you ended up if Jeremy Grant and Miles Turner was your summer, like it's not terrible. Like, I'm going to tell like, Caitlin Cooper. You said that. Let's see what she <laughs> says. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying like, it's, it wouldn't be the worst situation possible. Like it's, is you know, Turner the front I, end of the ampersand? Is he the stake? Then would he qualify I, for you? I, I mean, maybe that turns into like chicken fried steak, chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes. So like it goes, it goes good together. Maybe maybe not on its own. Maybe it's a little chicken fried steak without the mashed potatoes and gravy, like a little dry mashed potatoes and gravy on their own. Like, don't get me wrong, post Thanksgiving, I'm about that life. But you put them together, then then it makes a little bit more sense, especially because you know Turner's on a decent deal. Even if you pay a little bit extra for Grant, you get a little savings in the back end, and you kind of split that difference of like the now, but not 
they're all 30 years old. So you get a little bit of youth in there. Maybe not youth, but more, more prime years than uh, the uh, up in the prime now and like getting older quicker. I think that's, those are the kind of lines I think I'd walk. And also, you could take a look at Kyle Kuzma. I, I think I've, I've talked myself into that because the, the, the Wizards have 17 power forwards. I think that's, that's, oh, that's a place Kuz. you could probably explore. Oh, Listen. hanging. Yeah. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just going like, oh boy, that might be a second ampersand. <laughs> I mean, that might be the it, law firm, you know, somebody and somebody in Kuzma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we're talking about tilapia dinner at this point. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're going to call it halibut. Yeah. I, I think if we learn anything from the Rudy Fernandez era, um, I, I've heard that uh, Kyle Kuzma is very easy on the eyes. So we're going to see a lot of Kyle Kuzma jerseys around Portland sure. in a real hurry. Yeah. But. As far as Miles Turner goes, on, on a real note, I, I think it definitely tracks that he is very much still available. I mean, we've heard the Pacers are another team that could dangle their you know lottery pick mm-hmm. in a trade for DeAndre Ayton, which very much suggests that Miles Turner might not be in their future plans. Yeah. So uh, definitely a name to watch that I, I've kind of forgotten since the busy trade deadline year here in Portland. So, All right, so percentage chances that the Blazers actually trade the pick. What's the percentage chance that they trade the pick instead of using it for someone they'll keep? A hundred percent, they're going to try. <laughs> I, 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 I think that's options one through five at this point. Um, I'd say it's probably eighty percent. I, I think it's incredibly high. I, I, I said I've said this a million times. Number one, I would be absolutely floored if they traded number seven for Jeremy Grant. Like that would be such a wild, wild turn of events from what everything that I have heard. And beyond that, if they drafted somebody at number seven, I, I think I would be just as shocked. I, in the order of operations for me, it's trade the pick, move up in the draft, probably move back in the draft, then draft at seven. Because I think it, there's, there's nobody at seven that they're like, that's the guy. Whereas I think if you traded back, they could get multiple assets. And that's kind of like, uh, well, we couldn't get what we wanted, but we can get some more stuff and maybe we can reload and hit it again the trade deadline. Where if you just take the guy, you're like, please God work, please God work, please God work. And you find yourself in a really awkward situation if that pick doesn't work out. So I think it's, it's swing big, then swing a little bit smaller, then you know maybe a little squeeze bunt, and then uh, a hope and a prayer and closing your eyes, grip it and rip it. I think that's kind of the order that I'm going with here. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I would be absolutely shocked if they select a player at number seven. I think that pick goes in either direction. I, I don't necessarily think they're moving up. It, it, it depends on who gets picked at four and five. I think if it goes chalk and you see Jaden Ivey and Keegan Murray go off at four and five, I, I, I think if they're there, I don't think teams are going to be too willing to entertain the Blazers trading up to get into that range because I think both those players are high quality players that can change the face of your franchise. Um, I, I expect them to move out of this pick. I expect them to move down potentially and get more assets so you can go out and get, you know, a Jeremy Grant with not as high of a pick. You know, you have some more ammo to go talk to Toronto if OG really is in your future plan. So I would say I'm, I'm going to go 99%. I predict they will not pick. At number seven for themselves yep for right. themselves right okay so is the is og the ideal move then is that the consensus here is that the best move available or would someone argue something does it go og ayton or og collins and then everybody else or how's that go for you i yeah, i'd I, go og yeah okay i'm i'm same boat okay 
assuming Jabari Smith isn't available at a trade-up tonight. Yeah, I mean, listen. <laughs> uh, where would you put that, Dan? Uh, like, okay, you, let's magical fairy world where uh, you can have either of those three. You got you could have OG, you can have Aiton, uh, or you can trade up for Jabari Smith. What do you do? My belief in Jabari is pretty substantial. So I, I'm not quite at like Donovan Mitchell 2017 levels of, of, of like, I think he's going to be the dude, but I'm pretty damn close. Um, so yeah, I, I would say if the opportunity to grab Jabari is there, I would put his number one for me. Yeah. Steve. I, I don't know. I, I am lower on Jabari than most people. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think he's incredibly stiff in space. I, I don't think he has the bend that some players have, uh, when he's defending. Um, I, I mean, granted he played out of position somewhat in Auburn. I mean, you had a true rim protector there, which I think Jabari has more upside there. Um, but if you're asking him to come out on the perimeter and play fours, I I'd still want to see a little more from him. Uh, I still think he's a very talented player. Like Dan said, he, he said it earlier in the show. There are very few players that have the release point as high as his is and the accuracy he has. There's just not players in this league that can block his shot, and you just can't teach that. So there, there is a lot of upside there, but honestly, I think either one of either one of the top three players are, are on the same level for me as far as what I want in an NBA player. I don't think you can go wrong with Paulo Jabari or Chet. I, I, they're all pretty much even for me. So it's hard for me to separate Jabari from that group. Sure. Yeah. I'd go with Jabari just because of the contract and because he's the ultimate now and later. I mean, OG mm -hmm. is too, I get it, but he's more expensive. Also, all three of those guys are yeah. Jabari OG and, and uh, DeAndre. Aiden yeah, but he's, he's really Jabari's really now and later, like in yeah. terms of he doesn't impact your cap at all i mean he's the, yeah yeah so in any case yeah nice so last thing um canzano uh re-ups the blazers going on the auction block soon uh how do you think that might affect things if it happens and do you do you think something is do you think we are closer other than yes we're all moving through time forward and at some point they're going to be sold so by definition we're closer but uh do, do you think that we are closer and do you think that makes a difference in any of this? I, well, I, I've heard that Jody Allen is very interested in getting into the NHL, specifically the Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> uh, no, I mixed up my Penguin articles with Jody Allen. Those were, <laughs> those were skulls, okay. not the hockey team. My bad. <laughs> No, Oops. I, I definitely, I definitely think, uh, I think and it's that's coming. why the podcast got pulled off the air. We could, <laughs> we got Neil, but we couldn't get Jody. Couldn't get past Jody. All right. Anyway, go ahead. No, I, I think the one thing that I am worried about, according to that Canzano article is, is the same auction house that's handling the Broncos sale is running the, the Blazers sale rumoredly. And if anybody has been following what's been going on in Denver, it has been anything but smooth, anything but consistent. So if they're waiting for that deal to get done, I mean, like you said, in theory, we are closer than we were two minutes ago, but I don't know if it's on that six to 12 month timeline, because I think the Broncos deal still has some work to do. So we've, uh, three of us have been talking about this for years and basically what John wrote today, uh, we've discussed for 
probably 24 months. This is all stuff we have heard in the background, uh, particularly Ellison being the guy. Uh, he's been pre-approved by the league for a few years at Seattle and Vegas. were basically done. I, I've heard that they may look to roll that out as soon as next summer, like officially announce groundbreaking for Las Vegas first and Seattle. Um, I do believe we are getting closer. Um, Gonzano and a few others have, have hinted at not only the trust requiring uh, Jody Allen and the, the estate to to move forward, but that there might be a timeline that is a requirement post, honestly, you know, following Paul Allen's death, that there's an X amount of years that were allowed for this to take place. Uh, and so it may force the action. Uh, originally, the thought was that the TV deal was going to be the deciding factor in this. But instead, if it turns out that the uh, expansion fees are enough to kind of get things done, I think that that's enough to get Jody out of the NBA because for for you know all intents and purposes, the, the thought has always been that Jody does not care about the NBA th- side of things, that she does. She, there is a little bit of, of, of care on the NFL side of things. I, I mean, it, it makes sense because it's worth a couple billion dollars more. Um, the interesting thing, I don't know whether it's for you guys, but for me was, again, the, the, the auction house that is handling this for Denver, the thought of the Denver Broncos selling for $5 billion is bananas. That is just an obscene amount of money. That's a valuation that nobody saw coming. But also, the thought process of the Blazers selling for $3 billion with a 25-year-old arena, with their payroll basically locked in, no lease set up, uh, the secondary building, a Memorial Coliseum, and everything else that goes along with that not being kind of figured out, that the valuation would be that high. Here's my whole thing. Give me an owner like Steve Ballmer. I want him to have more money than God. He or she. If it's Bezos' wife, fine. I don't care. She's worth $33 billion. I want, I want the Blazers to be somebody's plaything. And I want them to care. I want them to be interested. I want them to go, hey, you know what? There's, there's margins around the edges that we can improve things. Let's go ahead and pay for our assistant coaches more than anybody else. Let's go ahead and be like the Timberwolves and go, hey, you want an ownership stake in the, in the organization because you're one of the best executives in the league? Hi, Masai Ujiri. Hi, Tim Conley. And take care of those people and not do some of the things the Blazers have done for the last couple of years, which is cheap out on scouts, cheap out on executives, cheap out on coaching. Like the things you can actually pay for and there's no limits. There's no, there's no salary tax or there's no luxury tax on any of that stuff. So as this stuff progresses, I hope it happens sooner rather than later. I hope Damian Lillard gets to experience what it was like again under Paul Allen where you had an ownership that was motivated and they cared and spending was a real thing because the, it would be a real bummer if the last couple of years of Damian Lillard's career were all under Jody Allen and it was a caretaker ownership that really wasn't invested. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I'm I'm worried not for Portland but for sports in general because I think as these valuations get so high it's going to become increasingly corporate it's going to become a little bit like what happened to Vegas uh, what's happening to professional wrestling by the way when the WWE sells it will not be to a McMahon and a McMahon will not inherit that it's going to be a corporation that buys it and runs it as a sterile thing which might be better for that I don't know but I think this is increasingly going to happen to franchises, that there's going to be a corporate way to run franchises, that it starts kind of smoothing out the personalities and the, the different edges and advantages become mechanized, and there basically won't be any. 
and in that equation, by the way, I think the Blazers don't come out ahead except by sheer luck. But also, I think that you lose something that's intrinsic to professional sports. And I, I would not be surprised entirely. Now, maybe I'm, I'll be wrong about this because the transfer is happening like right now or soon. But I wouldn't be surprised if within 10 years, if we just didn't see the end of the ownership differences that we will remember because when we were kids, people like Bus and Allen and various people, you know, uh, Mr. Dallas Shark, whatever his name is, I forget now. Mark uh, Cuban. Yeah, Mark Cuban, right. <laughs> that, you know, that we remember those kind of maverick, no pun intended, owners that just don't exist anymore because they're all corporately run in one way or another or held in trust and run by proxy. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't discount that possibility happening to Portland sooner or later. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're going to see more likely the profit motive introduced in pro sports across the board like we've been seeing happen, especially in Major League Baseball. I mean... Baseball is a poster child of what we don't want this to become here. So we will see what, what happens going forward. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, is this good or bad? I mean, I think it's probably better than the ownership that we've had the last couple of years. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing gets Jody. I don't think, look, I don't think anybody could do what was required after Paul passed. I mean, his was such an individual personality-based ownership that no one was going to step in there that wasn't him, let alone his sister who inherited all of this and had no basketball experience or interest. I didn't, you know, that's not a realistic expectation that she's going to step in and run this. So I think it's going to be like the average will be better than, than no experience or, or attachment. And somebody who wants to do it. I think right. that's the biggest thing is like you, I want somebody who wants this to be their thing. But like for, just, for what purpose? I mean, I don't necessarily think we'll get that. Yeah? I don't necessarily think... That, I mean, who knows? Let's put it this way. I hope this moves fairly quickly, so at least yeah. we can ascertain this. So this isn't bought by, you know, Taco Bell KFC <laughs> and now... No, you don't want to conglomerate. Like, as, yeah. as much as the, the Cowboys have been a, a disaster piece, the, the thing that... I, I can't remember who said this the other day. It was either, it was either Rich Eisen or, or Colin Coward. I can't remember who it was. But they're talking about Jerry Jones, and this is like... The Cowboys, like he's in his late 80s, right? Like the Cowboys are what keeps him alive. Like Larry Ellison is not a young dude, but he's worth, I think, 70 or 80 billion, depending on what the market valuation is. One of the five richest people on the planet last time I looked. This guy can go do whatever he wants to do. He doesn't need money. Like he, if he wants to go to Monte Carlo and waste $100 million, like it's nothing, he can go do that without buying a sports franchise. Like I want him to be in the seats. Whoever the owner is, I want them to have more cash than anybody. And I want them like, th this is what keeps them young. This is what keeps them motivated. And if they go over the top like Jerry Jones and meddle a little bit, I think I'd rather have that than a disinterested owner who is a little cheap around the edges. Like, I just, I I'm okay with Paul Allen, like a, a guy who comes in the room and wants to understand draft picks and fires his GM the night before the draft, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, pain. Listen, well, stuff yeah. happens, man. Like, I'm just saying, like, I'm okay with the messier owner on the, the basketball operation side of things than the disinterested owner or the James Dolans of the world, or the Donalds. I don't want to say Donald Sterling because his was a different story. But the I, James yeah. Dolans of the world who just want to print money. I do think there is a middle ground here. Like, you look at in Miami where it's, you know, Mickey Arison who, 
you know, is kind of that eccentric billionaire who lost a bunch of money being in the cruise industry. But what was important about the Heat was is who they put in that that president of basketball operations seat. And I think that's what I'm almost more interested to see what the Blazers do here going forward is who do they put in that spot? Can they get, you know, strike, you know, catch lightning in a bottle and get a Pat Riley type in that spot who has Mark yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can they get someone in that spot that even if the owner is somewhat aloof, they have someone there that is purely focused on building a winning franchise at every level. They want to win at every level. And that's what you want, even if your owner isn't fully engaged. Yes, it would be nice to have the owner be that person, but they really have to make, they have to thread the needle in the hiring of going and getting the next Pobo be someone that is really dialed in in that spot. I just remember a year ago when people were talking about the possibility of Miami's front office coming en masse to Portland. Not only are we a long way from that, it's like whatever door's opening in front. God, there's so much. And it's not, okay, maybe this is it. This is a good way to wrap up. It's not that Portland's in a bad position. With the draft picks, with management, with anything. Mm-hmm. It's that so much is riding on so few right now. Like, if Joe Cronin can't pull it off, or God forbid he's not good, but let's give him credit. Let's say he's good, but he can't pull it off. There's no options. There's no plan B. If this draft pick doesn't pull a great player or get a great trade, there's no plan B. I mean, and, and you're, it's not that they'd never recover, but you're literally, you're rolling. It's slash and burn at that point. Yeah, you're rolling the dice. You just, okay, <laughs> you just went to the ATM at the craps table and you just withdrew your last hundred. And this needs to hit or you got to make a long, slow walk home now and figure I got to build this up again for the next couple of years. That's, do, do you feel, I mean, does that, does that track with you guys? Not not only does it track, it also terrifies me because, you know, this is what we needed. We needed the Pelicans to not make the playoffs. We needed that pick to land in the top three or top four, and it didn't. So it just feels like, you know, the, the, the Vegas analogy is way too scary and way too real because it does feel like we're in between the craps table and and the ATM right Mm -hmm. now. And we're hoping things are going to turn around, but you know, I've been to Vegas enough to where some of my best nights start that way. So who who knows? On the, the other hand, is, go ahead. No, no, no go, go ahead. Dave. Well, on the other hand, I mean, the next step is going to see Joe Pesci and telling him that you don't have enough money to turn on your heat. And that's not no. going to be pretty. Right? As long as my head doesn't go on a vice, I'm going to yeah. be perfect in that situation. <laughs> I was say, I, I've had many of summer league nights. Uh, playing at a smaller table, watching NBA players next to me playing at much, much, much higher cash games, and seeing seeing them have some bad nights, and then seeing them hit pretty pretty hard. And so that's that, I think that's the, the the apt analogy right now. But that is the terrifying thing, because regardless of what happens, because I'm nearly assured at this point that Damian Lillard is going to get a two year, hundred seven million dollar extension here in the next uh, two months. Yeah. Um, and whether or not that happens. I mean, whether like, it's going to happen, and that doesn't guarantee he's going to be here for the long haul. I just think that that's 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 the reward for ten years of service, and no player of his caliber has ever not gotten that extension at this point so far. And then under the CBA, he's going to get it. And if this summer, really, if the next three months doesn't work out, like if they just keep crapping out at the table, it's just snake eyes, snake eyes, snake eyes. 
then that timeline of like again slashing and burning which ie means trading damian lillard starts to happen like that starts to speed up because then you're looking at new ownership coming in and going okay yeah no we're gonna hold on to dame until the new ownership takes place and then after that then then it all bets are off i think at that point in time if they miss everything right now don't aggregate this for love of god <laughs> i'm not saying he's leaving I'm saying if everything goes wrong then that possibility becomes more likely than it is really i mean i, I don't think it's really all that likely right now well they're not going to trade him right now but we've talked about this before anyways we said earlier in the podcast it's they're not going to be able to keep dame if they don't do something uh unless they they just keep dame in resignation and he's good with that you know just oh well we're just going to play it out they're not going to keep dame with a viable chance at winning unless they start the road up now because it's not going to get better. They're not going to get more assets. If, if Dame plays well, they're going to get lower draft picks. If Dame gets more expensive and older, his trade value is going to go down. There's no way this goes up from here unless they literally make the moves that makes the franchise win on an upward arc starting right now. All righty. Well, uh, thank you, Steve. And thank you, Dan. We appreciate it. And I know Dia appreciates it. This has been wonderful. We'll need to do this again. Uh, maybe next Blazer's Edge night. We're talking about like uh, getting a live gathering going in person where people can meet all of us. And that would be a whole lot of fun. Q&A and everybody can see, uh, you know, Steve's handsome mug and Danny's familiar face and all of that. And uh, <laughs> we'll just We'll just put D in front and we'll be okay. So uh, in any case, for Dia Miller, who is absent, uh, but also for Dan and Steve, I'm Dave Deckard, and we will see you again next week. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave comes here and out of you. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. Cloud is on his feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent! <laughs>